good to be back here with you once again. I, it's good to see a lot of faces we recognize, a lot of faces we don't recognize, and uh, that's a good thing. If you don't know us and you didn't know us from before and, and you think, well, it's kind of weird, all these people keep going up to them and talking and everything, don't worry about it. Because the, the other half who does, they're like, oh man, they invited them back again. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it at all. But we are um, certainly excited to be here. As Pastor said, I, I uh, pastor Grace Baptist Church in Hampton, Virginia. Um, I learned a few things in ministry here. One was when um, Pastor came over from Belmont Baptist at first, it's hard to not say the name of your old church, right? And so there were a couple times in here where he said, hey, welcome to Belmont Baptist Church. And so that's why I had to find a Grace Baptist Church to go to <laughs> so that it wouldn't be so hard. The, the only problem is I have caught myself almost saying, home of your Indiana Christian Academy whirlwinds a, a few times. And <laughs> they, they wouldn't know what I was talking about. But uh, we, we, have, uh, we have certainly enjoyed being back. It's amazing, this, the, the flood of memories. Um, you know, it's been four and a half years uh, since I've been back here. A lot of changes and a lot of wonderful changes. And um, just thankful for the time here. I, you know, even with the baby dedication, thinking back to when my son was, went through baby dedication uh, right here. And, you know, so many different folks who have poured into our family uh, over the years. And we're, we're just thrilled to be back with you. We really are. And so I uh, appreciate it. We're looking forward to opening the Word this morning. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you want to join me in turning there. I will have the verses up on the, the screen as well this morning, so you can follow along up there as well. But uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, beginning of verse 17. We're coming to a passage this morning where uh, Paul has been taken away from the believers that he loves in Thessalonica. And uh, he's missing them, right? He's missing them. And, and so the, the title of the message is Forever Love. Uh, it's, it's a love that doesn't stop, even when you're far away or when you're taken away. And so um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are glory and joy. And let's pause there and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the truth that is before us. And Father, we, we pray that today as we approach this text, as we approach this passage, that we would accept it as it is, the very Word of God, that we would recognize it as authoritative in our lives, that our hearts would be ready to yield to your guidance and instruction, Father, that we might be more like Jesus Christ, Father, that we would be a better witness to others for your sake, and that you would receive more glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we think about this time of year, and Pastor mentioned it, you know, my father-in-law's over in Poland. He's got the Ukrainian refugees at, at his church and heard great reports of how much help it was with the, the team going over there to assist. Um, but this, this war has been one that has had, you know, a major effect on that region of the world during this time, in, in part with refugees. Um, 
This is a, a photo of just some of the Ukrainian children who were actually taken into Russia, and um, and they were basically just, you know, kidnapped is the, the word they used. They were they were brought over to Russia. They were taken away. Um, the the news article I was looking at said 11,000. The current numbers are more like 17,000, and uh, it's just just continued to grow up. And and what happens is these children are taken over there. They're put in places and encouraged. Um, with given the best food, the best toys, and, and said, wouldn't you rather stay here? Wouldn't you rather stay here? And over and over again, the children are just saying, no, I want my mommy, right? I want my daddy. And, um, and, and that has been going on and on. And, and throughout that, you see the, the love of these parents. Some of them, there's actually been an underground network formed where where parents are sneaking into Russia, Ukrainian parents are sneaking into Russia, staying at various houses along the way uh, to get to these points where their, their kids are being held captive and then claiming their children back again. Um, it, it's, it's just a terrible, terrible situation. Uh, this, this is a, a mother here, um, and, and her, her child was taken, and the child said, you know, I said to the, the staff, no foster families. I already have a daddy, and he's alive. And and so, um, she the the kids were told, uh, your your father can't make it. Your can't, father can't make it. Um, and yet he went into to Ukraine to find his children. The mother here, actually, her kids were um, were out playing one day, and they got too close to the Russian soldiers, and they were they were just kidnapped and taken. And she just took off running through the woods. I mean, she went miles and miles and miles to go track down her kids. And what is that? That's the love of a mother. Right? I mean, if you love your kids, it doesn't matter whether you're wearing shoes or not, you're just going to start going, right? You're just going to start tr chasing them down. And, and what, what an incredible example uh, we're seeing over in Ukraine uh, of these families, parents, mothers, fathers alike, willing to take on tremendous sacrifice to go after their children and go hunt down and find their children. Um, this, this mother said, I, I couldn't see where I was going because I was crying so much after, after her, her child, one of her sons, 17-year-old Slava, was taken away. And so he, he was taken to Minsk in Belarus, and um, she went all the way to Belarus, crossing the border, to go and, and find her, her child. Uh, she said the, the Russian soldiers threw him away like a small kitten. And uh, they were, they were re reunited, um, but you can just imagine how frightened even that 17-year-old was going through that ordeal and that entire process. But it, you know, it's hard to imagine the agony of a mother who's separated from her children. Uh, I mean, it, it's just difficult to imagine. And it doesn't matter whether it's war or persecution or um, you, you know, what comes up, danger, whatever the problem is, she, she will often just rush in and chase down her kids. Uh, this mother going for miles and miles, crossing borders and going into hostile territory uh, to regain her son. And, and that's the wonderful thing about motherhood. That's the, the wonderful example that we see. The title of this message, like, as I said before, is Forever Love. And, and that's a, a love that doesn't end. That's a love that just keeps on going. And, and so as, as we consider, in this case, the love that Paul has for this young church in Thessalonica, 
we're, we're going to see that that also is a forever love. It's, it's a love that just, just keeps on going. And uh, we read it before, but uh, the, this is, points to the fact that discipleship connects. It connects us together. And verse 17, as we read before, said, But we, brethren, being taken from you a short time in presence, not in heart, we endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. He, he loved these people. He, he loved these folks, and he, he didn't want to get away from them, but, but something came up. You know, he, he had to leave. It, there wasn't a choice there. And the way he describes it in Thessalonica it is actually just going back a, a few verses up to verse, verse 7. He says, but we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. You know, as, as a nurse cherishes her children, as a, as a nursing mother cares for her baby, Paul said, we, we felt that way about you. That, that's the way that I felt about you. And uh, what, a, what a tremendous testimony. In fact, in verse 11, he goes on and says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Verse 12 goes on, That you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. See, but Paul understood that, that this was not just a, oh, I'm leaving off to the next place, right? That this had implications in terms of, of his love and care for this church as he was going away. And it, it just ripped his heart out. Now, he didn't stop doing the work. He didn't stop doing the ministry. But, but it, it just ripped his heart out. And, and so he, he went through this process. And so he, he, he's like the loving mother. He is like the loving father. And, and he is removed from their presence. It's just heart-wrenching. And he longs to be with them. And so he, he gave that description here in verses 17 and 18. I want to show you, why was he away? You know, maybe ask the question, why did he have to leave? Verse 17 here says, but we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in your presence. How were they taken away? This literally means that they were torn away, right? They were taken from them. The, the word actually used there means orphaned, right? That's the idea. And it was as, as though he was just ripped out of this church that he felt like he was orphaning his children. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the description. And, and it wasn't his choice. It was under duress. It was because of the persecution. He was forced to leave. And so he's ripped away from those he loved. How long were they away? Well, it says here that it was a short time, right? A short time. And yet, just that short period of time, the separation from this church distressed Paul. The short period of time, even though it was short, was heart-wrenching. And uh, some of you have probably experienced that before, maybe with children going away to college or, or different things like that. And, and you know, they're, they're away and they're gone. And um, for about 30 sec seconds, you rejoice and say, hallelujah. And then you're like, oh, where are they at? It's quiet around here, right? We, <laughs> you understand that, that experience, that, that feeling. But, but what can't be taken away? What is it that cannot be taken away? Well, it's, it's the love, right? The, their heart. You, Paul can be physically removed from Thessalonica, but you can't take his heart away from the city. You can't take his love away. And so as you, you see there, right, it's short time in presence but not in heart. 
because that, that heart can't leave. You know, physical separation may be there, but the heart is still there. And, and Paul describes what's going on, the separation, that it, it being in spite of what his heart desires, and over and again, or again and again, or over and over and over, and again, he, he wanted to be there. But, but he was unable to be there, and, and the reason was because Satan was hindering them. Satan wouldn't allow that to take place. So who is this Satan? We know him as the tempter. We, scripture tells us about him. 1 Corinthians describes it in this way in verse 5. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. Why, that Satan tempt you not for your incontency. Satan is the tempter, and, and he will tempt, and, and he also uses deception by other means. Right? He, there are many means that Satan used to, to, to tempt others or deceive others. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And, and so what, what Satan does is he makes things look good just like he makes himself look good. And, and, and he does it to deceive. And so what sometimes looks good to us is, is something that will harm us, right? Things that may on the surface appear to be beneficial can actually be things that, that harm or, or will hurt us. And, and that's how Satan works. That's one of the ways that he works. 1 Corinthians 5, 5, it says, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And, and so what happens, we have a responsibility to seek to oppose the work of Satan in this world uh, for the, the sake and the good of others. We desire to see souls saved. We desire to see the power of Satan overcome and that God would be glorified. It's described this way in regard to this work of the man of lawlessness, um, that, that he will come according to the power of Satan in 2 Thessalonians 2.9. Even him who's coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders. He will one day be empowered by Satan himself. But, you know, the great thing about all of this is that we know the ultimate end. And that is that ultimately he will be defeated by God. Romans 16, 20 says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You know, isn't it a wonderful thing? that we are confident that Satan will lose, that we know the end from the beginning. Second Thessalonians 2.8 puts it this way, and then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And I, I, I'm so thankful that I know the end from the beginning. Right? I don't have to wonder. This, this isn't you know, standing around your TV or sitting around your TV wondering who's going to win the game. Right? This isn't that. Um, you, you're, you're not up there as a fan in the stands saying, boy, I wonder who's got this one, right? Is my team going to prevail? And we already know who wins. We, we already know who the victor is. And let's think about it for a moment. If, if we know who the victor is, and it's been broadcast to the whole world who the victor is, and yet people still choose the side of the loser, <laughs> I mean, isn't that strange? I mean, why does that happen? How can that happen? Remember, Satan is an angel of light. He's a deceiver. 
He, he fools people. He, he spews out lies, and people think it sounds good. We, we have to make sure, as, as people who know the Lord, people who know the end from the beginning, that we are declaring to the world around us who this Satan is and who our God is who will overcome him, the one who will be victorious. We have to make sure that we are, are letting the world know that, that, hey, if you're following him, he's the loser, right? He's the one who's going to be defeated. You're on the wrong side if that's who you're, who you're supporting. We know the end from the beginning. You see, when, when things like this happen, when, when we get, have an opportunity to connect with people, and maybe that's from sharing the gospel with them, and they get saved. And I, I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you shared the gospel with somebody, and they came to Christ, and, and they're just rejoicing in front of you. That is a wonderful moment. And, and when that happens, you have a connection with that other person that is just incredible. Right? You, you have a connection there. And maybe somebody starts looking to you as, as a spiritual father or a spiritual mother. Maybe they look, look to you and say, wow, I'm just so thankful the Lord put them in my life because they, they spoke the truth. They spoke the gospel. And, and now this, this wonderful truth of who Jesus is, I understand it. And he's my savior. You know, that, that is a discipleship connection. It's a wonderful connection. And it's the type of thing that was described in these verses for us here. As Paul is just so upset from being away from those in Thess Thessalonica. Because he has that kind of relationship with them. He has that closeness. And I, I want to encourage you that, you know, that sometimes maybe, maybe if you don't have that in your life, maybe that... It just seems so far away, seems so foreign. Um, but you know, sharing the gospel can be as simple as sharing your testimony and what God has done in your life. And, and it can just start there. You know, it, it can start with a clear testimony of what God has done in your life. And, and you, you never know the effect that that will have on another person. Starting to build relationships and encouraging others, that, that's a tremendous opportunity to go forth with, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and then what happens? Maybe somebody gets saved, but don't stop there. Help them. Instruct them. Encourage them. Pray with them. Eat with them. Spend time together. That's a discipleship connection that's made. And that's what Paul is longing for here. He says, those I've connected with, I had to leave. And my heart is ripped out because of it. Do you have that kind of relationship in your life? Where your heart is just wrenched when you're away from someone else? Because you love them so much. You're so close to them. You know, discipleship doesn't just stop with connections. There's actually great rewards that come from this process of discipleship. And let's pause for just a moment before we, we, let's define this term. What is discipleship? Well, a disciple, right, that's a key word there, is, is a learner, a disciple is a follower. Now we, we uh, today, as we think about learners, we think of, you know, maybe it's a student in school. And um, you, you know what happens to students today. Students go to school, you sit there for a few hours, you're bored out of your mind, and then you, you know, the, the day ends and then you leave and you go home. And, and so that's, you know, that's what being a student often looks like today. 
Um, you know, it doesn't matter whether, whether you're talking, you know, high school, below, or all the way up in college, that, that type of thing is taking place. And, and so, um, one of the things that, that was different back in Jesus' day with a disciple or a learner or a follower was that you didn't just go to your teacher and then leave. Right? You, you went to your teacher and you sat at his feet and you ate with him and you talked to him about his day. You know, think about the disciples following Jesus around. In Jesus' time, d discipleship wasn't just about a class. Here are the facts. Here's the knowledge. It, it was about two different lives just pouring into each other, enjoying life together. You know, that's so different than our society today. You like me time? I like me time, right? But I think we all like me time maybe a little bit too much in our day and age. You know, we, we, we get in these moments, we get in these situations where we're just like, hey, just shut the door. Apparently, there was a day when people sat on their front porches and like kids played in the street and they talked to each other and everybody, no one had AC, so they all had their windows open so you could yell across to your neighbor and things like that. And, you know, they had, they had these, uh, these things. They, they were like telephones with wires attached to them back in the day. It's a whole different, whole different concept, I realize. But um, apparently, you could get on that phone and like the whole neighborhood had one number. Right, and so when you were bored, you just pick up your phone and listen to all your neighbors talking. Uh, some of y'all did that, did you? Yeah, <laughs> I see some head shaking. Yeah, right. I mean, hey, everybody knew everybody's business back then, right? I mean, that that was the the situation, right? But but now we're so disconnected, right? We shut our doors, we we close everybody off, and uh, you know, I mean. I mean, we're, we're even annoyed when somebody knocks on the door, hits the doorbell these days, right? We put, we put cameras on it just so we know who it is and whether or not we want to answer. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a whole different world today. And, um, and, and that's the reality. We're, well, let's not stay there, right? Can I say this? As believers, we need to have relationships with other people. Our lives need to intersect with other people in ways that we make a difference in their lives for the glory of God. We, we got to be rubbing shoulders with people, right? And whether that's coworkers or otherwise. Because I'll tell you, in this day and age, it, it's easy. I mean, you, you work from home, right? It, it can be like you never leave your house. Your, your whole experience is Uber drivers showing up and leaving, leaving food, you know, or... Uh, you know, Postmates or whatever, leaving food on your front porch, or Domino's leaving food on your front porch. You need groceries, you just order it in, right? They deliver it on your front porch. You don't even have to see anybody. It's amazing how disconnected we, we've become in the world today. I, I know folks, and they have friends, and their friends are all over the world, because the only friends that they have are the ones they met online. Look, hey, I'm all for influencing people online for the glory of God. But you need to influence people face to face. We need to talk to each other. We need to eat with each other. We need to encourage one another. And this is kind of a lost art, right? The whole idea of hospitality is kind of missing today. And so I'm so thankful for those who, who practice this and, and practice hospitality. It's just a wonderful thing. Second part of this discipleship rewards, there are great rewards for being a disciple. 
And, and as we, we uh, look ahead here, verse 19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are glory, for ye are our glory and joy. Yeah, three things were mentioned here in, in verse 19. The first is hope. Uh, hope is the idea of confident expectation. Paul's looking for There's a confident expectation, knowing that, that God is going to take care of everything. He's going to set everything right in the end. We can be confident in, in what is ahead. And, and what is our hope? What, what is that going to look like? Well, part of that is, is that there is coming a day where those who have participated in discipleship stand before the Lord, and they long for the day when, when you hear that, well done, that, that, good, and that good and faithful servant. Well, well done. Uh, there is a coming a day when, when you stand before the Lord and you rejoice at what he has done in the lives of disciples and, and those you've known in your life. That second part, joy, mature faith, right? A characteristic of mature faith. That, that concept of, of this is not a happiness based on circumstance, but, but something that just wells up, rejoicing, right? This idea of rejoicing. What happens? Those th faithful believers in Thessalonica, Paul knows that the day is coming when he will rejoice as he sees the results and the outcome of what, it, what is ahead. And of course, that last part, right, crown of rejoicing, it just goes on. Right? He, he's looking forward to, to that wonderful reward, that rejoicing that will come in his life as he considers in light of all of eternity how God has used these believers in Thessalonica. It's, a, it's an incredible, incredible concept and idea if you think about it. I mean, this is God working in other lives, and we're rejoicing over it. As we uh, jump ahead here to uh, this verse here in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, it goes on, I, ha I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. The fire that trieth every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss but he shall, himself shall be saved, yet is so by fire. You know, we'll, we'll receive appropriate rewards for what happens in this life. God's promised that. It's going to happen. And part of that is based upon our motivation, our heart motivation. What is it that compels us to want to do these things? Is it love for others? Is it love for God? Is that what is fueling us as we go forth? Certainly it shouldn't be to make a name for ourselves, right? Certainly it shouldn't be to lift up ourselves or magnify ourselves, make ourselves look good in the eyes of our neighbors or whatever it is. We, these things will be judged not just on the basis of what was accomplished, but the motivation behind the actions. God, examine our hearts. May they be prepared for what he has. 1 Corinthians 4, beginning of verse 1, says the following, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Or man's judgment, yea, I judge not my own self. 
For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. You know, this, this aspiration here in Paul's part is, is a description of saying, hey, God will be my judge. In Paul's day, remember, he was run out of town. There were people who were judging his work and his ministry, so much so they were running out of town. There were even believers who were opposed to what Paul was doing. Right? He, he dealt with believers who were fighting against his work and his ministry. And, and through it all, he says, look, I'm just going to serve the Lord. When we reach the end, when we reach the final day, well, guess what? He's going to be the judge. And it will remain or it won't remain, but God is the judge. He's the final judge. He has the say. And so I'm going to trust in him. And I'm going to work for him. And I'm going to serve him. And I'm going to seek to do all things for his glory. Hey, you know, whatever those other people say, whatever their accusations are, God will settle it. Right? He'll settle it up. I'm not going to stop serving the Lord for that. I'm just going to keep pressing on. Looks ahead and, and, and considers just the wonderful things that, that are yet to take place. You know, as we, as we consider these things, um, I, I want to point out just a, a certain thing that's yet to come. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful event, and it's taking place. And we're going to skip to this here in Matthew 27, because there's, there's promised a, a judgment that's yet to come. It says, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife said unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. It goes on here. Of course, we're, we're talking about Pilate's wife, right, at the judgment of Christ. And, and what happened? Pilate is passing judgment over Jesus himself. I mean... What's the point? If Jesus faced judgment from religious leaders or government leaders, do you think you'll escape it? Of course we're going to face persecution. Of course we're going to face these things. And so as, as Pilate had that judgment seat, it was called a bema seat. It's the same type of word, same word that's used of the believer's judgment seat, the bema seat, that where they will stand before God and, and he'll judge our works, right? And we'll be rewarded for what remains. But don't be afraid because when it comes to that time, when it comes to that judgment of Christ, he will judge righteously. And so if you live righteously, he will judge righteously. And you can be confident that he'll see the true motivations of your heart. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 13, puts it this way. Every man's work shall be made... Oops, sorry. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. And so that's what we have to look forward to. So let me ask you this question. If, if you're thinking about this life, this world that we live in, uh, you know, we're in a day and age today where often we are focused upon the different aspects of the American dream, right? Our job, work, money, what our boss wants us to do, um, having enough cars. You know, uh, we have two adults in our family. We have three cars. Now, 
it makes sense for us because one of them is usually broken down. But, but for a lot of people, right, that, that happens and that takes place just because we want more stuff, right? That's the world that we live in today. We, we want to expand. We want, want more. We got, got to do more than what our neighbor has and all those things, right? You know, more, hey, getting groceries, that's too much work. Let me just have them deliver it. I'll pay the $10. You know what I mean? We, we do all these things for convenience and enjoyment. And, and what? We, we chase the American dream. Right? We, we chase what, what, um, what, what's going on around us so that we can just kind of one-up and get a little bit better. What, what would God have us to do? Can, can I tell you this? Having food delivered to me and paying the extra price you know, for it delivered, I don't think I'm going to get a reward for that. Right? Locking myself up in my house and watching TV and not talking to my neighbors, I don't think I'll get a reward for that. Saying, I need a little bit more me time. I don't think I'll get a reward for that. God's going to judge our hearts. Can I just encourage you not to waste this life that we've been given? Use it for the glory of God. You know, there's something that we, we do at our church, and I'm not suggesting that you have to adopt it here, but maybe it will help you personally, right? And so um, we're Grace Baptist Church, so we, we call it Two Questions of Grace. And, and the whole goal is when this idea of discipleship seems like it is maybe too big of a hurdle, right? Oh, I'm scared to talk to people or, you know, whatever it is. Um, we have two questions, and I, and I encourage our folks to use these two questions. And, and the first is, is very simple. It's, hey, would you like to come over for lunch? Now, hey is not really a question. That's an interrogative, I think, but it just sounds cooler with it. So, but hey, would you like to come over for lunch? Most people can say that, right? Most people can do that. And, and if that seems like too big of a hurdle, just try, hey, would you like to go out for lunch, right? That's okay too, right? You, you can adjust these things a little bit, but that's a good starting point, right? That, that is a great starting point. You come to church, you see somebody you don't know, and you say, hey, would you like to go out for lunch? Say, boy, that, that didn't seem so complicated. You know what just happened? When you go out to lunch with that person, you now have somebody to talk to face-to-face, to share your life with, and maybe you exchange phone numbers. Maybe you talk later that week. Maybe you make a friend. I, I, you know, it, it, we, we, get, we put up these barriers, I think, sometimes. Like, well, who am I going to talk to? Right. Hey. Would you like to go out for lunch? Grab onto that question. You can use it in many situations. You can use it with your coworker. You can use it with folks here at church. It doesn't matter. Just use that, use that phrase, and that will be the beginning of a relationship. Okay. Second thing, maybe you have that relationship started. You want to take it to the next level. You want to make sure that you're talking about the things of the Lord. Say, hey. Would you like to do a Bible study with me? Maybe it's, hey, would you like to come to the ladies' Bible study with me? Or, hey, would you like to go to men's Bible study with me? Or, hey, you want to come to my Sunday school class? It doesn't matter what it is, but it really can be that simple. Right? It can be that simple. And I know this sounds weird, but those two simple questions can be totally transformative in your life if you utilize them. Say, so, wow, you, you didn't say a whole lot about God there. 
I know. That comes during the relationship, right? That comes while you're talking, and that comes while you're doing life together. And, and if you love the Lord, and if you're following after the Lord, then they're going to see the Lord in the things that you say and the things that you do. But, but to me, I, I, I think for most Christians, the barrier is not, hey, I need to be, you know, oozing out the Lord. I think the barrier for most Christians in this day and age we live in is, hey, I just need to rub shoulders with somebody else. Because we've become so isolated today. Would you just be willing to say, Lord, would you use me for your glory and help me to overcome these first obstacles that, that, that I might actually be used to form these relationships with people? Relationships that are so close, Paul describes it as a mother caring for her child, as a father loving his son. God, would you work in my life? in this way. Let's pray. Father and our God, we thank you for the example which you have set before us from this wonderful passage, this wonderful text this morning. Father, we thank you for the encouragement we have in seeing the love of Paul for his disciples. Father, we thank you that, that you reward those who Diligently seek to serve you. Bring glory to your name. Father, most of all today, we pray that you would use us. Father, may we, we know the end from the beginning. Father, help us to get off the sidelines. Help us to be on your team, actively participating, knowing that we're on the winning side seeking to see souls saved for your glory. Head bowed and eyes closed. I want to just ask you very simply this morning, if you would say to me, John, with what you've preached this morning, there are some changes that need to take place in my life where I need to rub shoulders with other people more and more, and would you just pray for me? I'm not going to call you out. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Just lift up your hand. Many hands. Father, I pray for those today who have raised their hands and others who perhaps are thinking it in their hearts that you would provide them an abundance of grace, an abundance of encouragement. Father, that, that you would help them to truly be believers who are making disciples for your glory. Father, that you would just provide opportunities, provide boldness. Father, we, we pray that souls would be saved. We pray that young believers would grow into maturity. Father, that relationships would be formed. Relationships that last forever based upon True love can only be known through Jesus Christ. Father, we give you praise this day for what you've done in our hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.